we are truly in the darkest timeline, so why not travel back to a simpler time, when your toughest choice was what to rent a blockbuster for the weekend, Face Off or Con Air. That's where the Talkbuster podcast comes in. Every episode, Chris Chipman is joined by a guest who relive their time working for Blockbuster. The good and the bad. It's a fun nostalgic dive that, if nothing else, is a great escape. Find the Talkbuster podcast on your favorite podcasting site today. Hello and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this, the darkest timeline. I'm Lord Commander Ulrich, and with me as always is... The Shield brother, Axel Wright. How's it going today, man? Stressful. I, uh, I had to go get a permit for my fence, and that means I have to actually shrink my fence now, which kind of sucks. I had looked this up before, but there was some vaguenesses that... Anyway, point is, it's a pain in the ass, and then I went and got a landline, and they haven't turned it on yet, so I'm waiting for that. And then I tried to play some Total War... And found out that Kostalton's start is a fucking nightmare. So yeah, I fucking village man. Village just shows up turn ten, and I can't do anything about him. And anyway, I'll deal with it. So <laughs> village shows up with Kostalton. Yeah. How the fuck does he manage that? I'm playing Realms of Chaos. Oh. That makes so much more sense. And he's right across the water. He is very close. So Okay, that's right. Yeah, no. I'm I'm on Mortal Empires. That makes so much more sense. It's like, Jesus, that is some aggressive ass AI. Yeah, no, I the problem too is that Kostalton does not start with a province that has a up to level five capital. He doesn't at all. Yeah. So so you have to cut your way up north. And you have to take Hell Pit, because Hell Pit is the only thing nearby that can give you a capital. But it's in the opposite direction that Village comes from. So while I'm trying to take that, he pops into my territory. And Anyway, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to properly maneuver this. Because if you don't have a bunch of armored Kossars, Village's army will just roll over you. So, anyway. Village is strong. Like, yeah. He's a really good just general faction. The barrier... Plus the magic. Yeah, B- Village is a nightmare. Every time I've dealt with him so far in-game, it's been a problem. I'm almost... Well, I was almost done with my Realms of Chaos run. Kostaldin is the last of the original ones I have to do. But then I've got the f- the, the new guys to do as well to unlock their movies. So, Yeah, I was going to say, what about the four Chaos uh, uh, factions? Well, the new ones... Uh, I haven't done. But I've done Kugath, I've done Nikari, I've done Yeah, Kairos, I knew that. So. Yeah, so I just I still have the, the the new ones to do to unlock their movies. I didn't realize they had movies to unlock. But now that I do, I will do them too. So I'm almost tempted to jump back into Realms of Chaos just to try out and see what the Champions of Chaos look like. But yeah, probably not. Yeah. Anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about today. So. <laughs> yep, that was just an added bonus. An added bonus that, you know, comes to you courtesy of our patrons, the people who like us so much, they give us money to support the show. They are Pam Galley, Marquis, Chris Chipman, River Galley, Krug, Arthur Crane, Kevin Bay, Brendan Eddie, John Vinnels, Kenny, Seth Decker, Donald Lucy, Patrick Anderson, Carson Mel, Scott Rubin, Derek Takai, and Peter Cook. Now, if you'd like to join the illustrious legion, head on over to patreon.com forward slash geeks with shields. 25 cents an episode gets you early access to all our content. And... If you are listening to this in the month of October, you're also getting access to a, our bonus podcast this year of Geeks Who Haunt. That is Slagathor's horror theme podcast. You're going to want to check that out. All right. And what is our topic of discussion today? 
Well, it's Bootober. We are near the end of Bootober. Kind of ran out of ideas, so we're going to do a Bootober-themed Gone But Not Forgotten. And uh, the more I thought on this, the more I liked it, because it's like, oh, there's a bunch of really good horror movies I feel like people haven't, you know, thought about in since they came out. Hmm. I know that... So for anyone who doesn't know, or anyone who hasn't seen a previous thing, Gone But Not Forgotten is just this idea we came up with that is loosely an excuse for us to talk about kind of whatever we want to talk about, but with a preference towards things that we don't see people talking about very often. They don't necessarily have to be obscure. They could just be things that maybe they were giant, but we don't see people talk about them anymore. Or maybe they are super obscure. I don't know. But the point is that they are quote-unquote gone from at least the popular culture and the nerd culture, but we have not forgotten them. So here's our excuse to just talk about them. Yeah. No, this is kind of... I don't remember how this started, but it started as a uh, kind of a sausage episode as we call them and then turn into a really popular really easy series to throw together what ulrich means by sausage episode is that it's made like a sausage as in we just throw a bunch of stuff together all right do you want to kick it off or should i kick it off uh sure i'll kick it off i'm gonna kick it off with something that i know was giant and still has some people's attention and it's really just more of an excuse to see what we remember of it because i haven't read a goosebumps book since probably about eighth grade but back then it was a huge thing for me. So, I'm, and I know there were some movies that with Jack Black that I didn't watch that I heard mixed things about. But anyway, so yeah. I saw the first one, and it's a Jack Black movie, so your Jack Black mileage may vary. Yeah, which is funny, because sidebar, I, I find that I like Jack Black best when the movie suits his particular talents. Like, School of Rock's amazing, that's because it's basically a movie built for that persona that he has so but anyway not the point point is goosebumps it's this thing that when we were kids i i don't know if it's still very prominent in quote-unquote youth culture but it was a set of light scary books i'm not gonna call them horror because they weren't really horror but light scary idea kind of books written by rl stein meant for you know grade school to middle school age people and when I was in seventh grade, I would literally go to school in the morning, check out a book, read all through my courses, classes, because I didn't pay attention in class. I, I still got good grades. I just did my homework. And anyway, point is, I read, I finished the book before the end of the day, I would turn it in. And I did that for a bunch of days of seventh grade. So I read most of them. And I've actually heard there were some studies that say that kids who read a lot of Goosebumps actually somehow it hampered their reading ability. I don't know anything about that, but I just had someone mention that to me. Anyway, they were, because they were written for a younger audience, right, they were pretty light, but they touched on a lot of, you know, creepy ideas. Like, there was one with a werewolf. There was a, f the, the most famous set was, like, a trilogy that had to do with a uh, animated ventriloquist dummy. I think that'd become, like, a pentology at this point huh okay like there they kept pranking those out for a while yeah there was one that involved alien blood or i guess it was like monster blood it was just monster blood. blood yep yeah and they always had these like great art to catch your eyes on the front and they oh all... the cover art's incredible yeah and they always ended in a way that felt like well horror movies for kids because a lot of the best horror movies end in not happy ways so goosebumps would do a thing where at the end of its story 
there would be some final card to reveal, as it were. There was always a twist. Yeah, there was a twist at the end that made the ending not necessarily happy, or at least not conventionally happy. Like, I remember there was one, I don't remember what book it was, but, like, the whole time this kid is, I think he's terrified of, like, his neighbor or something, but then at the end, in, like, the very last chapter, his family eats the neighbor because they've been monsters all along. Oh, it's a librarian. A girl finds out the librarian's a monster and she's all freaked out about it. And then the twist at the end is they eat him because they're bigger monsters. Yeah. So Goosebumps would do that kind of stuff all the time. There was a set of books that were a choose your own story, which was my introduction to the idea of choose your own adventure stories, which have been around apparently a long time. But... Oh, choose your own adventure were ancient. Those were reader beware, choose your own scare. Yeah, exactly. So Goosebumps had a handful of those. I remember one that was a, uh, the headless knight and then there was i think um the monster blood one was a choose your own adventure i think i know there was one that involved the first decision was like do you eat the stale cake that will turn you into a giant or the purple goo that will shrink you of course you don't know at first what those effects are you just have a choice between stale cake or purple goo (laughs) yeah weren't those the ones with like the semi holographic covers yeah yeah totally yeah, those, those. I mean, for '90s kids, we used to remember those covers because they made the books way more interesting than they probably were. Yep. And then the, from my memory, I think the best Goosebumps book, as in like just best written, was probably was it the Haunted Mask, where the the cover was with the just green mask, and the story was about this girl on Halloween who doesn't have a costume, so she goes to this kind of creepy store. I think she steals even this mask. Yeah, she steals the mask. And then, like, throughout the night, it becomes like she's turning into a monster. I don't remember how that one ends. Yeah, I don't remember the twist to it. I just remember that it was really well written, just, like, as she was kind of coming to the horror of what the mask was doing to her and taking over. It actually got made into... A lot of Goosebumps got turned into pretty low-budget adaptations on it like well there was that tv series that ran forever that is a 90s tv series based on goosebumps yeah and most of it was not good in that very low budget 90s kind of adaptation kind of way but the the haunted mask one i remember being pretty good actually i have watched most of it recently because my daughter fell in love with goosebumps because it's just creepy enough but not too creepy kind of the goal i would say of it <laughs> yeah no she really digs she likes that she's got a macabre general interest i mean her favorite movie is Coraline, so fair i mean crazy spider lady i just recently yeah. saw Coraline for the first time so really oh wow yeah. you know again a lot to unpack there too so no i've seen most of these recently it's like okay this isn't great <laughs> but it's i got a fun like fond nostalgia for it and it's great for what it is in that it's, you know, it pitches itself as really scary and really over top, but it's like Twilight Zone. It's not really, but kids get the sense of it is. Yeah. Actually, Twilight Zone, I think, is a good, it's very much a kid-friendly Twilight Zone. I think that's more, just with a more, like, overtly horror aesthetic, since there's always yeah. like, monsters and stuff. I know. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun because, like, again, kids get the sense that they're watching something scary without it actually giving them nightmares of any real sort. Hmm. 
Yeah, I the other one I, that sticks out in my brain was is it Monsterland or Horrorland? It's the Escape from Horrorland. Yeah, it's a theme park one with the craze. Was that also a Choose Your Own Adventure one? I swear there was a Choose Your Own Adventure version of it. That well, I don't know. That one had a board game. I remember that. Yeah, and, and I, a video game. Yeah, there was a lot to do with that particular sto- story, which was monsters at a theme park, and the people going there think that the monsters are people in costume, but they're not. They're actual monsters. So, like I said, Goosebumps was really big in the '90s. Like, if you were a '90s kid, you kind of remember Goosebumps. And I mean, it's they rebooted it in like the mid. 2010s i think and that's actually a really that one's a bit darker Mm. and actually they don't always end on a twist and when they do end on a twist it's kind of dark well arlstein was always seemingly a higher quality author than just goosebumps would lead you to believe i mean he did fear street too right yeah that's when he like he did upgraded to the teen thing no the thing i remember goosebumps is was mass produced like he cranked those things out and i mean the idea was it got it was to get kids to read that was always the goal it had me reading tons i mean i was probably a little older than i even needed to be at at seventh grade but still like i said i read through like all of those i would read Mm -hmm. one in a day so my older brother had a pretty big collection for the exact purpose of it was the only thing he would read fair do you have any other of the main stories that stick out in your brain? Because that's really what I'm like. I can't remember what it's called, but the summer camp one is really good. But it, I hate the twist. I don't remember. Was the wait? This sounds vaguely familiar. What was the twist? The twist is that they they were aliens preparing for an invasion of Earth. Oh yeah, I do remember. Like the, that. the whole running thing is they're at this summer camp and kids keep disappearing. Mm-hmm. And it's this big sinister thing, like there's something in the woods. And then it turns out, nope, this was all just a test exercise to make sure you're ready for, you know, the invasion of Earth. It's like, oh, come on. Hmm. That was such a good mystery. You're doing such a good job building up, and then you just did nothing with it. I think I also remember the ghost next door, where the twist was that the narrator was the ghost next door, not the... Yeah. Yeah, Which, that was kind of a classic you know, murder Roger Ackroyd style thing right there, but All the Say Cheese and Dies had really good covers. Oh, Say Cheese and Die was great. That was basically proto Final Destination. Okay, so I'll explain this one. Say Cheese and Die had a very simple premise. The a group of kids find an old ca- camera, one of those ones that you it flashes and the picture comes right out, like it auto prints it. I don't know what the term for it is, but every time they take a picture something in the picture is wrong like i think the first time they they take a picture of he takes a picture of one of his friends who's just like doing a stupid face but when it comes out he's like screaming in agony and then right after they notice it he like steps on a nail or something yeah yeah and that just keeps on happening like every time a picture gets taken it causes like something bad to happen and then they try to get rid of the camera but it's basically the you know like the cursed phone from Ed and Eddie, it won't go away. So, again, that one had a really cool cover art because it was all like normal pictures, but they were skeletons. Yeah, say cheese and die was good. I remember, I remember liking that one a lot. Don't go in the basement was. I mean, that's a children's introduction to invasion of the body snatchers. Yeah, that sounds familiar. 
basically plant gain sentience makes a pot person of dad. Yeah. Okay, I do remember that. I remember that too. Yeah, yeah. And then the werewolves of Fever Swamp is a basic werewolf story. Well, anyway, we could go on and on. I just wanted to mention a few. Like some of these books are interesting, and it sounds like Ulrich is finding that for you know a young young kid like like his daughter, they're still a good hey read something neato. <laughs> yeah, no, they're still it's fun. I highly suggest it as a parent. Okay, your go. I'm going to suggest. Uh, you're next. I don't know if you remember even anything about this one. I watched the Dead Meat Kill Count for it. <laughs> okay, so you kind of know the premise. Uh, this one is from Adam Wingard, who I don't know what I make of him. Like, this is a really good movie. He also did Godzilla vs. Kong, which is pretty competent. But he also did the American Death Note and the Blair Witch... Like the original so, Blair Witch? The sequel Blair Witch. Oh, oh, ooh. Okay. Yeah. That's a mixed discography if I've... Or filmography, not discography, damn. Yeah, that's a mixed yeah. filmography. And, like, in all the interviews, like, all the greatest things about Godzilla vs. Kong weren't him. Weren't his it decisions? Was, <laughs> no. Dude's a total... I don't want to say a total idiot, but there was just stuff that... He didn't even consider. It's like, oh yeah, no, I didn't think about that at all. Oh. Like, like what? Sorry, I'm super curious now. Um, the biggest one I remember was the pilot for Mechagodzilla. Yeah, is Ken Watanabe's character's son mm -hmm. who is seeking revenge against Godzilla for killing his father. Yeah, sensible. He didn't know that was in the script at all. Huh? It's huh. like, oh. No, I just thought, you know, oh, he's a Ch he's an Asian guy, and he's pilot of Mechagodzilla. That makes sense. Oh, yeah, it's It's like, oh, you're an idiot. Okay. Well, let's talk about the good thing he apparently did. So, Yeah, your next is a horror movie concept I want to see more of, which it basically sets itself up as a typical home invasion style movie. But one of the characters here, so this is a story about a woman who is meeting her fiance's family for the first time. They're very rich. They're very stuck up, kind of snooty people. Home invasion starts. They start getting picked off one by one with traps. Oh, and the visual identifier that makes this kind of like the, the, the eye catcher in the trailer is that all the home invaders are wearing what look almost like, like Japanese kabuki masks, but they're animals, like animal spirits. Well, it's three wolves and a sheep. Oh, or three... Three sheep and a wolf. They're animal ones, because it's supposed to be like the big bad wolf, and then the three little pigs. Hmm. Yeah, I'll double they, check that, because I was pretty sure they had different masks. Yeah, like one of them has a cat mask that's like a tiger. So. Maybe I misremember. Anyways, but the big twist of this is the girl that is meeting this family for the first time is an ex-prepper. Like, her dad made her go to survival weekends in the Australian Outback. That's right, and so once this starts happening, she just like kind of takes control and starts setting up traps and basically adult home aloneing. The it is invaders. it is a very R rated home alone, and it's so good because so often with horror movies, it's just oh these poor people are running for their lives and doing dumb things. And the movie goes, well, what if our protagonist was competent? What then? 
Yeah. And of course, there's something else also going on that we shouldn't spoil because... Yeah, then there's of... a big, there's another big twist in the end. And I mean, there's a couple parts that, there's a couple characters that are just, you hate and they don't really work. Yeah. I mean, the, from what I remember from people talking about it, because again, haven't seen it, but the main draw once you're in the theater is the main character herself and how just utter badass she is. <laughs> yeah, so no, most of this movie is just fi her finding interesting, weird, unique traps. And it's very brutal. Like, this is a nasty horror movie in yeah. the sense that it earns its R rating. I mean, you got all the classics. You got decapitations. You've got various forms of brutalizations. There's a great scene in a basement where they use the flash of a camera to see. Yeah, I remember I remember hearing about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, this is an extremely creative, extremely fun horror movie that... By the way, I'm... real quick, I did check. It is three invaders. One is a wolf, one is a lamb, and one is a tiger. Ah, yeah, see, there's symbolism to that. So, anyway, continue. Anyways, and like, this movie was really good. I'm fairly certain it was well-received, and I'm pretty sure it made its money back. I can't. I don't know for sure. And it set up, like, it set up for a sequel because at the end of the whole thing, like, the big thing was they come and then the cops arrest her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, like, the big thing. And that's, like, the sequel bait. It's like, well where does this end? Because she knows what really happened, but she's being arrested for the crime of all these murders. And it's like, okay, well, where do, where were you going with this? Hmm. It makes me think of Cry Wolf. So. See, that, I'm surprised, isn't on your list here. Because I don't remember enough about it to talk about it. I remember the ending fucked me up hardcore. So, that's, that's what I'm really. I remember, I remember, I'm really mixed on that one. Folks need to go watch that and get back to us and tell us if it's still good. Yeah, because it was ever good. Quick sidebar, not one of my gum not forgotten, but there's this movie Cry Wolf. Moonvog showed it to me. Basically involves, I think, this group of college age kids in like a cabin in a place, and they're being hunted by a guy in a ski mask with just a long hunting knife. And then there is a big twist at the end, which again I will not spoil, but I don't remember any of the movie except that twist and how the movie ends and being very upset about it. But upset me, yeah. like, like, okay, you pulled the rug over my eyes about this, and and you you, you did the trick well, but do I feel gross about it, so... Yeah, no, that was, that, that was vaguely the twist. Go ahead and watch it. Maybe we'll do it another time, because that's yeah. one that's worth talking about. I don't know if it's good. I remember watching it and not liking it, but I'm curious if I revisited it now, what my opinion on it would be. No idea. Anyway, any other thoughts on your next? Uh, no, it's just, it's a fun, gory, simple kind of genre flip that I really enjoy that I feel like more people need to see. Ah. Okay, well then, uh, my next one is a movie that came out only three years ago. So you might say, well, that's pretty recent. Why is it Qualifier? Because people didn't see it when it came out, and they should have. It's called Underwater. Now... This one I will spoil, because I've talked about it before on recordings, just not in a gun not forgotten, and I didn't spoil it, but now it's been three years, and even if I spoil it, that should give you reason to go. Anyway, the premise of the movie is it's basically alien, but instead of in space, to the bottom of the Marianas Trench, which is way worse, in my opinion. This movie was very cursed, 
Yeah, it was the and very it, last film under 20th Century Fox before the yeah, merger went through. It got dropped in January. It led with T.J. Miller. Because it was made before T.J. Miller became basically uncastable. Yes, but it came out after... Yeah, it like came right out after. In that, in that middle point of we were all discovering what a shit heel was, he was, and we hadn't quite realized, oh, fuck, Kristen Stewart can act. Yeah. So everything was going against, and the trailers weren't good. And the trailers don't at all convey, like, what's good about it, so... Yeah, like, everything about this movie was actively working against it. Yeah, so the so the premise, right, is that Kirsten Stewart is this mechanical engineer who works at in a drill that's at the... Not quite at the bottom of the Marianas Trench, she's about a mile up. So she's about six miles down into the water, because the bottom of the Marianas Trench is seven miles down. And there's this huge station that's, like, very... It's like a tower built from the bottom of the trench all the way to the surface, and it has substations at every, like, mile or half mile. And so she works in the substation a mile from the bottom. And literally, this movie wastes no time, because in the very opening scene, something happens that causes the structural integrity of the station to be compromised... And then it starts collapsing in on itself, and she manages to save herself and, like, one other person. And now, well, they gotta get out before the whole station basically crushes in on itself from the pressure. She finds her captain, she finds a few other people, including T.J. Miller, who, terrible person aside, does a pretty good job of being funny in this movie without being intrusive to what's going on. But, anyway, she finds, like six people maybe maybe it's six people total six or seven people and they're like okay all the escape pods are gone so we need to get to another station where there are escape pods problem that station is a mile down and a mile that way so we have to get to the bottom of the the marriage trench and then we have to put on these super crazy dive suits and just walk across the seafloor to get to the other one all the while something is hunting them now, that's what I would say to people I was trying to get to watch it. People, well, you left out one key detail that really will get people to pop. It will get people to watch it. Well, I'm, I'm. Is it the spoiler details? I'm about to get there. No. Okay, which detail are you saying? It opens on Kristen Stewart in her underwear. Oh it, yeah, and she looks great. So, <laughs> I mean, there you go. We lost fifty percent of the audience right there. It's, I think it's on Hulu right now. Go with our blessing. Yes, I don't blame you. I'm about to spoil it, so if that is enough to be like, oh, I can't believe I missed this, go watch it and then just skip forward from what I'm going to say. But if you're still like, oh, whatever, let me put it this way. I'm terrified of water. I have thalassophobia. I still went and saw it, and it, first of all, it is amazing in theaters. I watched it recently on like Hulu, and I, maybe it was the TV, but it, it didn't land as well, so like... Try to watch it in as close to a theater-like experience as possible. It's a sound-driven movie. Yeah. Both in the sounds that are there and the absence of sound. Yeah, like, they make you feel a lot of times, like, you you feel under the water. You can see just these black screens, but with the particles of the water floating by as this kind of muted sound arounds you, around you makes you feel like being underwater. Now... Yeah, real quick before you get the twist, okay. I want to get your opinion on this one. Sure. Because according to the director, this is supposed to be an Alice in Wonderland parallel. 
Alice in One. See, it is much more, in my opinion, a loose adaptation of a different story that I'm going to mention here in a second. So, parallel Alice in One. No, I don't see it. I don't it. know where he gets it. I'm like, dude, you're. this is Alien. Right down to the our opening shot is our protagonist in their underwear. This is a space-like horrible environment there's big scary monsters it's very slowly paced it's very dark and quiet like alice in wonderland i have never been able to figure out what the fuck they meant by that well authorial intent as far as i'm concerned only matters as far as you the audience decides it matters and this is a case then where like you might have intended that but it ain't there Yeah, I don't get it. Like I said, I always saw it as, no, this is just a new good alien movie. Okay, I so I'm watching this film in theaters. I'm through most of it. I'm like, this is pretty solid, right? I'm about to spoil the whole thing, So, but you should still watch it for this, for this reason alone. The thing that's chasing them through the water, it looks... First of all, it's a great monster design. It's like kind of like elongated human anglerfish kind of thing it's got like anglerfish mouth but it's still like a person just with like really long limbs and it's good and creepy and it does its job and they interact with it a few times but then right at the end they're about to get to the station that that matters and you know a bunch of them aren't there anymore (laughs) and they find a nest of these things and they're like okay they're sleeping Let's go right past them and try not to wake them up. And, of course, they accidentally wake up one. They fight it off. But that wakes up all the other ones. Seems like everything's going to go down. But then the nest, because it's it's above them, the whole nest moves. And it turns out the nest is connected to an arm. And that arm is connected to Cthulhu. No fucking around. Straight up Cthulhu. <laughs> and, yeah. I, and I was sitting in my theater like... Like, what? (laughs) And he looks awesome. Just his face looks terrifying, and he just has this... He feels like an eldritch horror the way that Cthulhu should. And then at that point, the rest of the movie kind of clicked in, like, this is a loose adaptation of the Mountains of Madness, but under the water instead of in the mountains. So... (laughs) Beat Del Toro to the punch. Yeah. And anyway, that alone is like... Again, spoiler reveal, but it's fucking awesome, and the movie deserves attention. So, yeah, go go check it out. <laughs> yeah, no, this is a really fun, atmospheric-as-fuck horror movie that I would also say is great if you are a horror light. Like, you don't really want a bunch of gore or jump scares or something. You just kind of want something atmospheric and kind of creepy. Yeah, because it's not really a scary movie. Like, there are a couple jump scares, like two or three maybe. But most of it, yeah, is just atmosphere and feeling the the weight of the dark abyss that is they're facing. <laughs> yeah, no, I would call this, this is a great horror light like you're looking for something that you maybe you got a mixed audience and you know like okay well i know you don't like super scary stuff so let's just watch underwater it's really great yeah but make sure you got a good tv for it because if your tv is not up to stuff then a lot of the stuff that is like just barely visible in the abyss won't be visible at all and yeah that's what happened to me when i tried to show my girlfriend this movie so yeah no i can only imagine watching this on a really good tv with surround sound yeah That'd be fucking hot, damn. Anyway, it's available on Hulu, so. 
<laughs> oh, good. I was spitballing, like, I think it's on Hulu. I'm pretty sure it's on Hulu. I know we watched it, I think, on Hulu, but I could be wrong. I know it was available in a couple places, so. Yeah, there you go. All right. Uh, next up, I am going to suggest Sinister. I don't remember Sinister at all. I always mix it up with Insidious because they have that same yeah. sounding name. Well, so. they came out like really close to each other, if not the same year. And I remember Insidious because I had to watch it for our James Wan thing, but I don't remember Sinister. So this is from Scott Derrickson, who's a name you might know. Uh, he did Doctor Strange. Oh. And and he was originally attached to do Multiverse of Madness. Okay. And then left for creative differences, and now he's doing... Oh, I can't remember what he's doing. He's doing some really cool, interesting horror movie. But well, he also no. recently... I will say no offense to him, but I'm kind of glad because I like getting to see a Sam Raimi movie. But that's personal Yeah, reference. I think Raimi was... Uh, he recently did The Black Phone. Oh, really? Um, I wanted to yeah, see that. Black Phone, I, Sam. I just haven't got around Black, to seeing it. I got mixed feelings on Black Phone, too. And I'm like, I'm looking at his filmography, and it's like, you got some real hits. And then you've got, like, the 2015 Poltergeist... Hellraiser Inferno, mm. Urban Legends, The Final Cut. Okay, well, tell us what Sinister is, at least. So, Sinister is... Ethan Hawke is a true crime horn, a true crime novelist, who moves in to this house where there was a series of grisly murders mm -hmm. because he's writing about this room with his family, and he uncovers a collection uh old eight millimeter films okay with labels like going fishing mowing the lawn what have you and when he watches them he discovers that they are the tapes of the murders that he is writing about oh oh that's okay okay and they're all being apparently committed by the children the children yes all right and as he digs in, he kind of discovers this legend of this, and this is why I love it, a Babylonian god named Bogul. Okay, I'm getting real Children of the Corn vibes from your description so far. Yeah, and as the movie kind of goes on, he kind of goes like, well, no, demons aren't real, they aren't really a thing. But more weird and creepy stuff starts happening around the house, the kids start acting weird. And he starts to believe in Bogul a bit more. Uh -huh. And it turns out Bogul's whole thing is he appears through images and then slowly corrupts the children and gets them to commit the murders for him. And then they go and join him. Huh. Super creepy. Super well done. Bit heavy on the jump scares. Okay. Okay. The design for Yo Ghoul, I think is what you're Bogul. calling it. Because he's supposed to be the he's supposed to be the origins of the boogeyman. Oh well, the design looks pretty good. It looks kind of, you know, Rob Zombie-ish, but it's, it's creepy. Yeah, you don't ever see him no more than like quick flashes, so it really works. Hmm. Like he's popping up in the back of pictures and slowly moving. It's got a very kind of you know it vibe to him. That's fair. So he works really well, and like the best thing about this movie is the first time he's watching these tapes it feels like there's parts missing mm -hmm. and then he discovers all the cut pieces and that's where he discovers the kids have been committing the murders uh -huh. but there's one in particular called mowing the lawn okay. 
which I think you can put together if these are murder tapes, what mowing the lawn might imply, mm -hmm. that you are convinced shows you everything. But the way it's cut and the way you react as an audience member, it actually it cuts away. You don't see the murder itself. Uh -huh. But the way it's shot, you are so convinced you're about to see it that you look away instinctively. Okay. And it's just, it's again, it's a really fun, this is definitely on the higher scale. Like I said, there's some pretty good jump scares. It's very dark as fuck. It's got a very strong Stephen King vibe to it. That's always a good, good vibe. And I would say a lot of the horror is implied. Okay. Again, it's stuff that you can kind of figure out what's going on, but you don't ever actually see. Hmm. I'll probably go watch the dead meat after this. <laughs> yeah. The only thing I can really say against it is it is very jump scare heavy in a way that movies kind of were around this time. Of course. But not in a... They're not bad jump scares, if you know what I mean. Uh-huh. And I feel like if you watch enough horror movies, you know the difference between a good jump scare and a bad jump scare. Yeah. But a lot of its scares do come from ratcheting up this dread and atmosphere and then kind of throwing the jump scare at you so you're already kind of scared and then the screeching of the violins pushes you over the top mm. again he's a very good horror movie director it's just when i look at his filmography it's like oh boy you got some real clunkers in there it, it happens sometimes as well especially horror man that's a meat grinder you gotta you know crank through get them done Sometimes you don't have the best script. Sometimes it's work for pay. Yeah. Sometimes it's trading, you know, all right, I'll do this one, but I get to do my passion project next. How's the sequel? Oh, the sequel's hot garbage. Hot garbage? Okay. Which he also directed. Ah, so there you See, go. <laughs> the problem with Sinister 2 is it over-explains. It gives more details to Bogul. It shows you Bogul more, mm -hmm. which, no... Half of what makes him scary is you can never look at him, really. Because when you look at him, you start going, oh, that's just really weird makeup. and That's not that scary at all. Why, why was I freaked out by you? Hmm. Well, that same thing happened in Insidious. If you get a good look at the thing, it's like, that's not scary at all. But Yeah, no. I, I had a buddy once. He's like, really? He freaked you out? I mean, when I was watching it, we paused on that scene by accident. Like, oh, wait a second. You're only scary because you see you in, like, blinks, but... That's just really cheap makeup. Yeah. And then he's not scary at all anymore. Yep. I will say that, sidebar, the underwater creature, even paused, looks terrifying. So. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, then, my next suggestion is something that I have talked about multiple times in the... Um, four years? Are we at four years we've been doing this? We are coming up on four years. We're coming up on five years, I think. Five years? I think five. Yeah. Well, we're point is, on... in the many years we've been doing this, I've talked about this many times, but never as a gone but for not forgotten topic. I keep a list of all the ones that I've used, and unless I made a mistake on my list, which is possible. But you know what? I don't care, because it's worth talking about Reaper again. <laughs> so, Reaper is a show canceled way before its time it's only two seasons long and has i still believe the best version of the devil i have seen in fiction period for me the premise of the show is that uh i want to say it's brett harrison is his name but sam oliver is this kid 
who works at what is essentially Home Depot. He's best friends with a guy named Sock, played by Tyler Labine, which is how I discovered Tyler Labine. Why Tyler Labine is not in more stuff after Reaper and Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, I don't know. So uh, He got a role on like a not Grey's Anatomy-style show. He's so good. Why is he not in more stuff? Anyway. Anyway. So, Sam works at this Not Home Depot. On his 21st birthday, he wakes up. His parents are acting weird. Things around him are weird. There's, like, dogs staring at him. He tries to reach for a, a cart that moves away from him as he reaches for it without him touching it. Things are, you know, freaking him out. And then as he's driving home, Ray Wise, who's been called the Pepsodent uh, Devil because he's got a great smile, he shows up in the back of his car. He just appears in the back of his car. He's wearing a suit. He's tan. He's got this big smile. He's really friendly. He's he's a used. He's like a really good used car salesman is kind of what he, the energy he's putting out. And he's like, hey, I'm the devil. And he causes Sam to crash. And then Sam gets home. And he's like, his parents ask him what happened. And he tells him this whole thing. He's like, the devil tried to carjack me. And his parents tell him, so before you were born, your mom and I sold your soul to the devil. There's an explanation for how that happened, essentially, because they didn't think they were ever going to have kids. But the devil kind of tricked them into having kids. I'm not going to go into details there. It's all in the first episode. Just watch it. But point is... The devil's deal was that he would claim the soul of their firstborn child when he turned 21 years old. So, this all happens in like the first 15 minutes of the 45-minute pilot. Then the devil shows up, and he talks with Sam, and he's like, cooks some chicken fried steak. Because he's just this kind of friendly dude. And and he tells Sam, because Sam's like, are you going to take me to hell? And, and the devil goes, no, no, no. You're going to work for me here on earth see hell is a problem we're overpopulated so souls keep escaping and they escape to earth and you're gonna go get them and bring them back to hell like a bounty hunter (laughs) and that becomes the premise of the show sam tells his two best friends sock and ben about the deal he gets a essentially every episode he gets told about there's a new soul but the way he's told about it is always some magical thing like in episode three the soul is a bug soul so every time that sam tries to bite something his mouth ends up with a bug in it it's horrible it's horrifying or there's another episode where it's a lightning soul because when the souls come back to earth they have some power related to however they were tortured in hell so like the lightning soul was electrocuted every day so now he can control electricity and so sam is told quote unquote this exists by he's getting static shocked everything he touches Anyway, so they get told there's a soul, they get a special tool called a vessel to capture the soul, anything from a dirt devil vacuum cleaner to an old Christmas sweater, but it's it's specifically designed to capture that specific soul. And then, there you go. Each episode, they have a tool, they have a soul, there's interactions where they're trying to capture the soul, there's interactions of Sam with the devil. The devil only ever interacts with Sam directly, and he's just this funny, charismatic guy that's exactly why I see him as the devil, because the devil wouldn't be obviously evil. He would be the kind of guy that you can imagine could get you to sign a contract, you know? So Yeah, and probably the best thing about Ray Wise's performance is you almost come to like him as a character. 
And that's when he flips it on you, reminds you, like, no, I am not your friend. I am not the good guy. I am, in fact, the devil. And you're like, oh, fuck, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it oh, you almost got me. It happens frequently, where literally they'll be at the end of an episode, the devil will do something nice for Sam, and then do something evil to remind you, the audience, hey, devil. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm trying to think what we can, what I can say about this that we haven't discussed before, because we've talked, we both love Reaper. This is like one of the shows that when I was living with Axel, we watched over the course of a summer. And I always come back to it. I'm literally, with my girlfriend currently, who I've been dating for about three months now, I'm watching Shit's Creek because that's what she wanted me to watch. And as soon as we're done watching Shit's Creek, Reaper is next on the line. <laughs> so. <laughs> I, I see who's getting the winning trade here. Well, I got to go first. We watched one of my shows, which was Yu Yu Show, and then now Shit's Creek and then Reaper, and then we kind of go back and forth. And whoever's currently showing the other a television show, the other person gets to pick what movies we watch. So we got kind of like a back and forth thing. Anyway. Interesting setup. Yeah, no, this is a really fun... I mean, when you say it like that, the premise sounds kind of dumb. <laughs> and I mean, it is. It's the it, performances, it's a... though. The performances yeah. kill it. <laughs> and it, well, it's all like the side, the world building and the side stories. Like, you know, when they encounter the uh, Hell's Rebellion. Yep. And they get involved in that. Which is in season and, one. There's basically, without spoiling too much, there is a group of demons who don't like the devil, who don't like their lot in life, so they are trying to overthrow the devil. But their yeah. method of doing it is not what you would expect. <laughs> yeah, then this, the characters and the relationships and all that. In season two, there's a great bit where Ben starts dating a demon who is just really nice and really cool, but she's still a demon. So I remember not liking how that plot ended. It I has ups and got, downs. <laughs> I think if I remember correctly, she got screwed. Oh yeah. She got, she got screwed. That's what I remember. I think my favorite bit is they have to go turn these souls in and they have to turn them in at portals to hell. And what is one of the portals to hell? the dmv well the devil literally explains any place that feels like hell on earth is so yeah now dmv god i hate the dmv yeah i have no idea where reaper is available right now uh my my buddy has it on dvd so that's what i'm gonna watch it on but if you can find it on a streaming service <laughs> it it's only two seasons criminally only two seasons and it ends on a giant cliffhanger yeah a colossal cliffhanger that I, I admit I can see it being okay as an ending, but it still bothers me. So I guess there's a comic out there somewhere. I've never seen it, nor been able to track it down. But no, I'm betting it's on one of the multiple of you know those free streaming services with the sketchy ass names. Tubi or Peacock or any of the things like that. Yeah. I don't know why it got cancelled. I, I looked it up once and it was something dumb. Yeah, I don't know. I know that some of my favorite shows are becoming harder and harder to find places. Like, I can't find Almighty Johnson's anywhere. So, but anyway. That's probably something to do with distribution uh, distribution rights. Cause yeah, it's New, a Zealand New Zealand show. show and or or, or sidebar, Titus. All of Titus is available on YouTube for free because Christopher Titus himself put it out, which is awesome of him. But I want it on DVD. To get all three seasons, it's like 250 bucks. Yeah, on Amazon or eBay? That's on Amazon. Like You gotta go to eBay, man. Amazon people just go, well, it's not in print anymore, so therefore I can charge 
yeah. Anyway, not to derail too much. I am very hungry, so let's get on to your next suggestion. <laughs> All right, my last suggestion is Oculus. I remember this is... that this movie exists, and I know nothing else about it. This is one that I have been championing forever, and it's part of the reason I love Mike Flanagan. Okay, go on. So, <laughs> real quick rundown of Flanagan. This is the guy that cannot miss, in my opinion. Okay. He's done Midnight Mass, Haunting of Hill House, Doctor Sleep, Gerald's Game, The Haunting of Bly Manor, Ouija, The Origins of Evil, Hush. Uh, he's got the... Wait, well, he did Hush? Okay, that's, hush. that's good enough for me. He did Hush. Uh, he's got the Fall of the House of Usher coming up. He's got the Midnight Club coming up. Dude does not miss. Yeah. Sidebar, if you haven't seen Hush, go see Hush. Anyway, continue. <laughs> uh, anyways, my second selling point, namely marketed at you. This stars Karen Gillan. Uh, okay, good. That's good. Who, when her and her brother were growing up, their father went crazy and imprisoned their mother and her brother was forced to shoot her father and is just now getting out of prison for it. That's okay. the setup. Okay. She picks him up for prison from prison and, you know, he's ready to get his life all changed and figured out. And she's like, cool. One thing real quick. We need to go back to our old house. I have something to show you. And he's like, okay. And she's like, I found it. And he's like, you found what? I found the mirror. Okay. What do you mean the mirror? And we enter the central premise. The central premise is Karen Gillan believes that there is this mirror, this big, giant, creepy-looking motherfucking mirror mm -hmm. is evil and drove their father to madness. Okay. And she is going to prove it. Because she's got everything set up for her and her brother to stay in this house and record themselves and prove that the mirror is evil. And one of the ways, you know, she talks about, well, it warps your re it warps your sense of reality. It, you know, it does all, like, it changes what you can do. And I've set up this safety measure of this big, you know, drop weight that will, you know, break the mirror if we don't reset it. It's purely mechanical. It can't be tampered with. Therefore, you know, we will prove that the mirror is evil. Okay. And the whole movie goes through this two-part story. So one part, you know, showing her and her brother as kids playing in this house and kind of showing this weird progression with, you know, their father becoming kind of deranged. Mm -hmm. And them arguing back and forth going, well, this is all the times this mirror has, you know, been these places and these horrible murders happened. And it keeps, and it goes on and it starts playing with, you know, the sense of reality and time. And they're like, oh, the mirror's getting more powerful. And the whole movie is kind of playing with this idea of, are they crazy or is this real? And then eventually it gets to like, no, this mirror is definitely warping their sense of reality. Like, you think you got outside the house? You never got outside the house. You think you're eating an apple? Guess what? You're not eating an apple. It's pure psychological mindfuckery. Hmm. All right. Like, I... I'm struggling to describe it because it's a lot of visual stuff. Fair. I think we've talked about this before. I think you've tried to recommend it to me before. I love this movie. It's one of my annual watches, and it's so good. And ironically, you'll never guess the studio that produced it. Blumhouse? <laughs> WWE. The WWE? Yep. I okay, I never would have guessed that. 
And that's why I don't think anyone saw it. This is before Karen Gillan was famous. This was put out by the wrestling movie company. And I only saw it because the trailers were really good. And the trailers was like, oh, this movie's a mindfuck. Like, you don't know what's real. This whole movie is about messing with your perception and making you think one thing while it's doing another. And again, as the movie plays out, like as the kid's story progresses, so does their adult counterparts. And they kind of call this at the same time of, okay, this mirror is real. And the kids realize that at the same time, the adults kind of go, oh, fuck, the mirror is real. And we fucked up. Mm, okay. Like all of our safety precautions really aren't working. Oh, shit. What do we do now? Where is it available? This, I believe, is on Hulu. Cool. All right. So I feel like we just gave you a solid watch list if you are in the mood for any varying degrees of creepy. Four movies, a, a franchise of books and adaptations, and one killer TV show. So Yeah, no, I think you, you're all set. Yep. And we are going to add on top of that with suggestions of the week. Now, I don't know if yours is relevant to the conversation, but I'm going to recommend Sandman, which is on Netflix, and is creepy. Uh, I mean... Neil Gaiman. It's gaming. I wouldn't call it creepy. It's gaming-y. Yeah, but it. I'd say it touches on creepy elements. But it is funny because the main character looks like he stepped right out of the early 2000s. So, oh, very much so. Yeah. He's so broody. He's very broody, very hot topic-y. So. But anyway, Sandman is a, I think, 11 episode. I've only watched 10 episodes, but it's kind of the end of the series. The last episode is like, uh, not really related to the, anything else. But... It's apparently a very faithful adaptation of the comic book, The Sandman, done by Neil Gaiman, which is considered to be Gaiman's magnum opus by a lot of people. And it's about the godlike entity named Dream, who is the lord of dreams, the king of dreams. He, he kind of creates all of them. And the opening episode is about him getting captured by an Aleister Crowley-like person for like a hundred years. And then when he gets out, he has to deal with the aftermath of him being not doing his job for 100 years. I don't really know how else to sell it to you other than Neil Gaiman, pretty good Netflix adaptation, pretty solid budget, looks pretty great, and th- yeah, it's a fun fun little show. So, Yeah, we're slowly working our way through it in, you know, spits and burts. It's really good. It's the most gaming-y thing I've seen produced thus far from his works yeah the the villain well there are several villains but one of the villains is a guy named the corinthian who has mouths for eyes <laughs> yeah and i knew that was coming and then i saw it depicted i'm like oh god that's so much worse than i imagined yeah because like <laughs> they're not even like weird mouths they're just normal human mouths with human teeth but they're just where his eyes should be <laughs> It's it's horrible, and I hate it. <laughs> uh, I'm also going to suggest a Netflix product. I'm going to suggest Day Shift. I don't know what Day Shift is. Day Shift <laughs> is the spiritual successor to Daybreakers. Oh, I love Daybreakers. Okay. And you're going to love Day Shift. Okay, I'm listening. You have my attention. Jamie Foxx is a vampire hunter in L.A. I mean, you got lost some of my attention when you said... Oh, wait, no. I was thinking of Jamie Kennedy. Jamie Foxx is awesome. Continue. Yeah, he is a vampire hunter in L.A., and he's trying to, you know, get enough money to send his daughter to a private school while being investigated by his union, 
who is the board that oversees all vampire hunting activity <laughs> in the greater Los Angeles area. Oh, nice. And it is dumb, and it is stupid, and it is over the top. There is a car epic car chase scene set to Mario Kart. Dude, one of the cool things about Daybreakers was Willem Dafoe hunting vampires with crossbows and vintage muscle cars. Like, this is what I'm expecting. So We don't get the vintage muscle cars, but we do get just that level of dumb. There's a scene in which a character stomps his boot and a knife heel comes out of the toe and he stomps his heel on the other boot and another knife comes up the heel. And then he jump kicks and spins in a circle and does a scissor kick and decapitates two vampires. <laughs> There's yeah, another scene where a character stabs a vampire through the throat with a knife, kicks the knife, spins it around, and then the head helicopters off. This sounds extremely cheesy, but in a fun way, yeah. It is so cheesy, and it knows it, and it is just, it is fun. It is hilarious. Like, there's a great scene where Jamie Foxx just gets thrown up these stairs. He gets up, dusts himself off, and goes, Motherfucker did not just throw me up the stairs. Okay, you, I'm, I'm on board with this. I gotta watch this. <laughs> like I said, the trailer kind of put a lot of people off, but no, this is so dumb. It's so fun. My only complaint, like this is something I didn't even realize, is it's a secret that vampires exist and vampire hunters exist. It's like, oh, wait, you have this complex bureaucracy and trade system for vampire teeth and value, but it's a secret? Hmm weird yeah and our favorite you know <laughs> eastern european villain actor shows up whose name i'm blanking on all of a sudden eastern european villain actor dolph lundgren no the guy that plays the russian character in every movie ever oh oh i know who you're talking about um i don't know <laughs> yeah he's in this playing a vampire teeth broker hmm yeah and just you know hamming it up again this is such a fun, dumb movie. Uh, sounds like it. I'm, I'm going to check it out as soon as I can. As soon as I remember, because uh, I don't know if my lady would be into that. But <laughs> I, Yeah, no, I watched it with Slagathor, and she bounced out, and she said, oh, this is boring. Like, how is this boring? I mean, we your description watched... sounds like a guy movie. So Maybe. I mean, we just watched a Russian guy spit garlic juice onto a vampire's face, and it melted. Jeez. I love this movie so much. All right. Well, you just listened to us recommend stuff at you for an hour. So I think that's time for us to get into the outro. All right. Thank you all for listening. Be sure to like, share, subscribe. Do all the things because that is, in fact, the lifeblood of podcasts. And, hey, you've enjoyed this. Why not share this experience with a friend? And whatever podcast site you're currently listening to this on, thank you. We are on a bunch of podcast sites i don't have a list anymore but if you look for us on the podcast site of your choice and you don't find us tell us about that and we'll look into adding it until then you can also find us on the firesidealliance.com where there's a bunch of other cool content creators that we like to chat with in like discord and whatnot and on spotify specifically we can get ratings and if you give it five stars it appeases cthulhu I thought Cthulhu owned Spotify now. That makes a lot more sense. As always, this has been Lord Commander Oric. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time, and as always, stay honorable. <laughs>